Welcome back to another episode of our Making History Parenting Podcast. We want to help parents make God's story come alive in the hearts of our kids. My name is Chase, and with me, Jennifer Akers, co-host, and Nick Allen. Welcome back, Nick. Thank you guys for having me. So this is a continuation of a series that we have started on biblical families. And uh, last week, if you 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 haven't listened, go back and listen. Um, but as a reminder, last week we covered Hagar, uh, Hagar. and Ishmael. Yeah, Hagar and Ishmael. Which Abraham's was, concubine. Can you say the word concubine? We need yeah. to edit that out. Yeah. This was Ishmael was um, kind of Abraham and Sarai. She's not Sarah yet. Um, they kind of, they got ahead of themselves and they try to fulfill God's promises without God being in the equation. And so they had Ishmael wasn't part of the plan that God had um, for the promised child. And so now we're stepping into Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac was that child that they actually birthed. Um, And again, they were in their old age. We learned last time they were in their old age. So it just made sense that Sarah was like, hey, we've got to figure this thing out because I'm not getting pregnant. And so um, there's a servant, a servant, we get the servant pregnant. And they had Ishmael. Well, that wasn't God's plan. And so now she got pregnant and Isaac So we're at Abraham and Isaac. So like we did before, Jennifer's going to read. And then we're going to break down this uh, passage of scripture as we look into this biblical family. What does this mean for our parenting today? Right. Good. Okay. Should we jump in? Let's jump in. All right. Let's jump into some scripture. So we're going to be in Genesis for this in chapter 21. And we're starting right at verse 1. So it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Mercy. I know. (laughs) And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And that's what the name Isaac means. Like just this idea it. of laughter. Um, laughter is a good thing, friends. We always need an Isaac around us. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. There you go. Yeah. It's a celebration. He had, yeah. they, they had a baby. Um, and that was a big deal. Um, I think... If, if I were given an opportunity to kind of speak to any portion of this, uh, it's, it's obviously a reminder of God's faithfulness. Um, there, are, there are lots of recurring themes in Scripture, and one of them, and it's just a part of a ton of stories, is fertility. Um, right from the beginning, out of the gate, we know that fertility was an issue in the ancient world, and we want to kind of sit with and, and walk alongside families in our church who still walk through mm-hmm. those journeys because it's a big deal. Like Fertility is... Um, Every child is a miracle, and uh, we're, we're sitting around in, in modern medicine and modern opportunities with lots of help in that matter. In the ancient world, they, they literally attached fertility to their worship, and so that's why when you get further along in the 
Old Testament, there's all these, you know, the, the false gods and the goddesses. And um, I don't know why I'm making air quotes. Nobody can see me. You guys can see me. We can see them. They attached the idea of fertility to their worship practices. Mm-hmm. So all of the Canaanite gods and goddesses had some sort of fertility issue attached to them, whether it was the fertility of the land because you needed a good harvest or the fertility of the womb because you wanted to have kids. And so um, I think a lot of times when I think about the ancient world, I think about kids being expendable. Um, like even growing up, I remember that expression, like children should be seen and not heard. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And you always kind of yeah. think about that, like, oh, children weren't that important. And then you fast forward to the story of Jesus and, and children weren't a part of the equation. Yeah. And they weren't a part of. And it was that's what made it so remarkable when Jesus invited little children to yeah. come and when he compared entering the kingdom of God and having faith in God to being like a child. Like he elevated the role of kids. And so naturally I'm I'm inclined to think, okay, children aren't that important, but that's not in the biblical narrative. There was always a desire to produce, to be fruitful, to multiply and to have kids. And there was such a value, not only of having, you know, children in general, but, but also specifically for each family, a son. And, um, and so that it really matters. There's a lot of other ancient texts and studies and, I don't know, explorations that have figured out that children did really matter in the ancient world and that it was a really big deal to bear kids. And people did value their children. And maybe, maybe we can talk about that a little bit as we go. Um, but right at the beginning, I think you see that, that they desired to have a child. They desired to see God fulfill his promise. And this is one of those moments when he did. Like mm-hmm. God said, you're going to have this. And then he did. And so we can sit back and celebrate mm-hmm. the fact that they had a baby, but also that God fulfilled that promise. As I was mm-hmm. looking through some of this, I found some some Babylonian and some Egyptian resources that talked about like how important a part of the family children were, not just for the legacy, not just for the name, not just for, you know, the land and the control that they had over a situation because they had to continue to produce new heirs. Um, but they had, there were lullabies, like lullabies because they wanted their children to sleep well. And um, we have all had sleep issues at our home. You guys had sleep yeah, issues yeah. at your home. So you want your children to sleep. Um, but then some of those Egyptian texts talked about the idea that infants died in their sleep. And we, we know that's a fear. I remember having kids and mm-hmm. we wanted to hear through the baby monitor that our kids were breathing at night. Mm-hmm. And I remember our firstborn, sometimes we would go in there and look at her. And if you couldn't see her little belly going up and down with breath, you would touch her and mm-hmm. then you'd wake her up and then you'd have to start, start the, whole the whole cycle all over again. Yeah, but you just wanted to see that she was still there. You know, mm-hmm. the idea of infants dying was an issue. And so they, they talked about that. There were, um, they found uh, the lullabies that moms would sing to their children. They had a theory that if a kid died in their sleep, that it was really this, you know, crazy demon, false goddess Lilith coming into the room and feeding the baby with poison milk. So if wow. your baby died in the middle of the night, it was an expression of this evil goddess mm. taking away your child. Terrifying. And that's all, like the picture of like, we beg God to give us children. And then in their same practice, they would beg the enemy not to take their children yeah, yeah. because children were important. Yeah. And so there was this, this prioritized view of, of who kids were, that they were loved, that they were valued, that they were protected, that they were a gift. Um, they've excavated all these places and found toys in baby rooms. And you're like, oh, they gave their children toys. You don't give your children toy if your child is expendable. Like, yeah. So that's kind of a, there's all these pictures of how important kids were in the ancient world. And I think that just makes this moment in, in God's family and in his promise even even more precious. I thought that was kind of fun to, mm-hmm. to dive into a little bit. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, let's jump ahead, like, a few verses to Genesis 22 and start at verse 1 there. So, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there 
as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let's talk about that. Tough. Offer I, him there. Like we're incensed as parents. Like modern parents were like, wait a minute, there's no, no way. Absolutely There's just not. not. Well, I think that's, you know, it's one, we can't apply our modern sensibilities to the biblical narrative. We can't assume that it says things that it doesn't say. And we can't, we can't ignore the things that it actually does mm-hmm. say. Like, um, I think one of the first pictures that we have of burnt offering in scripture is Noah. And so we know that's building an altar, offering mm-hmm. up an actual, like this aroma that's pleasing to God. So even before we get to like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and God prescribing for the people, this is how you worship. These are the types of offerings and the manner that the Levites are supposed to bring them. Like there was already a picture of like burning things in the ancient world as a worship practice. Um, the the noun there is ola, and it literally means that which goes up in smoke. So you know you're burning it. Um, it's the, the, the root of the word Allah, which is caused to ascend. And this whole picture of people wanting to ascend. Like we can't ascend to God, but our worship can. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also like some of the other words, one of the other words that was used for the idea of a burnt offering, um, Kalil, is this picture of something that's burned in its totality, like the whole offering. And so you're getting like the idea of burnt offering here. It's it's hard to imagine, you know, slaughtering your child. Let's step out of that for a second and, and just take it for what it was. It was their expression of worship. And so the test here, I think, maybe somebody could disagree, is the test is that God's saying, do you love me more than this, this yeah. big blessing that I've given you, this thing that I've provided for you? And uh, and that's where I think we kind of take off as parents. We're sitting here going, do I love the Lord more than I love my kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and have you ever had that moment when God tried to take something back from you that he gave, mm-hmm. right? And that's really hard in this passage because literally he was the promise um, he was going to fulfill this promise that he said to Abraham. And then there you go. And it's like, do you have another promise for me or something? Because yeah. I'm about to s- sacrifice my my boy on the, on the altar. So that, I think that's pretty. You'd have to add a lot more text and a lot more verses. But God was super specific. There was nothing room for interpretation. No room for interpretation. Like he said, Sarah is going to bear you a son. And that is going to be the son and the seed that I build your whole family line from. Yeah. And so um, Isaac, I think we, we assume he's about 13, 14 years old at this point, And there's a question mark. Is that right? I think so. Uh, like, well, wait a minute. He's, he's not fathered children yet. I don't have grandsons. I don't have granddaughters. I don't have great grand. So mm-hmm. this is, it's God interrupting the promise with a, a test. And I think we got to land on that for a second and say, God does do that in our lives too. Um, and you can probably think of a way that he's done that where this thing that he provided or this thing that he seemed to promise or this direction that he seemed to lead you in was somehow interrupted. Um, and it's a faith test for us. Yeah. Um, can we keep going there? Yeah, go keep... for it. Okay. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar Lifted up his eyes on that third day. Yeah. So, so yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at the Isaac. Does he have any idea? Yeah, at that <laughs> age. I mean, we're going to get forward in a second, and he's yeah. going to ask the question about, like, wait, Where something's missing second, from that. Right. So, something no, I think he knows what they're about yeah, yeah. to do, but I don't think he knows his role in the story just yet. Um, that three days is kind of mm-hmm. important, I think, about. Can you, Well, first of all, can you imagine being Abraham and for three whole days— um, agonizing over what you're about to have to do and how you would play that in your mind. Like, 
how can I do this? How can I do this? How can I do this? The humanity of it is. But this is a special no trip, right? This yeah. is a special trip. This is a unique trip. He, his dad's taking him on this journey to sacrifice mm-hmm. a burnt offering. So, uh, you know, that's why I was, you know, as you, as you process through that, um, this special trip, was it something that they did often or something that this is kind of a one time thing? I think you know, in moments when my kids get to go do something with me, you know, they love it. Like, hey, do you want to go help dad do this? Like when we bag all of our leaves and take them to the recycling center every uh, October. It sounds exciting. It does sound exciting, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my boy gets excited to go with me. He wants to load up the leaves. He mm-hmm. wants to dump them in the piles. He wants to see how much the car weighs when we get there. Like it's all this mm-hmm. kind of fun. It's like, so there's this moment when you wonder if Isaac was excited. Like, yeah, is yeah, he I'm helping dad. super it's pumped up awesome. to go? Like Ride dad says I can go with him this time. I'm sure there were trips that Abraham made, which obviously we know there's this whole side note of mm-hmm. him and Abimelech and all this whole issue that's happening. I don't think Isaac was necessarily a part of that story, but this is his trip with dad. So I, in my mind, that would have been something that was exciting for him. But Abraham had to be in agony over what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So verse five, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So there we see Isaac asking. So he's cutting up wood. He's cutting yep. up wood. Where's, he's, he's like, I'm not going to lay this anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lay it on top of you, Isaac. Yep. This is right at the beginning, though. If you catch this one little phrase from Abraham, we probably, we'd have to go back and do a whole word study, but I think that it's present here. He tells the servants, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. So it's like, even in that moment, I think there's an expression of faith here that Abraham had an inkling. God is going to somehow do something. Um, and the writer of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith, he talks about how Abraham knew. He knew that God was able to bring his son back from the dead. So, so maybe Abraham in that moment was willing to go all the way. And the reason he was willing to go all the way is because he trusted God. It's mm-hmm. good. God had already chapters before, way back, said to Abraham, he's credited him. His faith was credited as righteousness. So like Abraham was declared righteous long before he was required to be obedient. Mm-hmm. We get that wrong in our salvation all the time. Like we think this whole picture of works where we're supposed to obey God in all these amazing things first, and then he'll say that we're, we're good, we're righteous, we're accepted. No, Abraham's acceptance came long before this big test. And so I think that's when it happens for us too. A lot of times we're, we're declared righteous because of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, that's when the tests come. That's when the trials come. That's when the challenges are present. And in this moment, it seems like he still had faith. Like the boy and I are going to come back. However it happens, he didn't know how it was going to take place, but that God was going to somehow continue his promise. He believed in him that much. Um, but yeah, Isaac is still curious. Like, wait a minute, where's we're missing something here, Dad? Yeah. He's over 100, so maybe he just forgot, right? Because, yeah, I mean, I'm not 100 and I forget things all the time. So It's yeah. true. That's true. So uh, verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Okay. Like that's the, the, (laughs) I do have questions on that. Like, why did he have to bound, bound him? You know what I mean? Like if he knew, 
Hit kids in puberty, like he could fight you. That's back true. Like, like, I don't know. Like, that have you seen some of these knife? kids walking around Rolling Hills? Like, they're strong. I gotta do something about this. Well, he's a hundred. Uh, he's reaction. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, and I, it's I don't hard know. to picture that part of the practice. I mean, they did that with lambs and rams and all the other things that they sacrificed. I think it's just that would have been your indication in this moment that wait a minute, I'm it. I'm the one laying out on the altar. Yeah, um, see that. Yeah, you know, God's God's presence in this moment is. We we also have to think in, in my in my hardest days. I think God's going with me, right? Like that's, that's part of my faith story. Part of your faith story is like in my hardest moments. I know that God's right there, and so this picture of Abraham saying, "Okay, you guys stay over here with the donkey. I and the boy will go and worship." The Lord's walking right there with him, you know. And even even the fact that this took three days, you know, that's parallel to Jesus and the idea of in the grave for three days, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden Christ returns. I think that's. We can't ignore that there is a parallel there. Um, and Abraham's confidence that was that God himself would provide the lamb, which, I mean, you fast forward to the Gospels. That's, a, yeah, that's exactly great. what happened. Um, but then I also picture this, like, how do you lie to your kids without lying to your kids? <laughs> we do that with a lot right. of different things. But this is common. God himself is going to provide the lamb, son. And, and you know in your head right now in this moment, you're it. But yeah, I don't want to yeah. say it right yet. And it's kind of a big deal. Somehow or another, there's a Latin piece there too. Like our word provide is literally to see to it. Um, and that is what the Hebrew word that Abraham used meant. It's like God will see it. Um, and I think, you know, we want that. We want to know that God sees us and that when God sees us, he meets that need. And so hmm. right at the beginning, Abraham says, you know, he's, he's going to see it and he's going to meet it. But the outrage is, is there. You know, we think, goodness gracious, how in the world can you kill your kids? And they did do that in the ancient world. That wasn't something that would have been foreign to Abraham at this point. He knew that that was part of the Canaanite worship practice, that um, vulgar things were done to children. Children were burnt and killed and sacrificed as a part of crazy ancient rituals. And that's why, you know, the the Jewish worship of Yahweh was so different. And so that's a, a picture in and of itself. Like, this is something they would have known about existing and now the question mark is, is this what God is now going to require of us to? Mm. Um, and I mm. think that is kind of a something to look for. Yeah. That's good. So in verse 11, thankfully we see this, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And we all breathe a sigh of relief for Isaac. Yes. And I I think whenever I look at this, I also go back to um, this idea of Abraham was willing to lay his son on the altar. I look at a story of Hannah. Let's go to a different story. Hannah, who couldn't have children. God gave her a child. and uh, She's and, on the list for us to talk about, isn't she? Yes, she yeah, is. That's cool. But but even that, it's like, what did she, what was her response? Her response was to go to the temple, lay him down before God, and say, God, he's yours. Thank you for answering my prayers. I give him back to you. And a lot of times, I think that um, as, a, as a parent, if we're not careful that, and you can speak to this, that our kids become the thing that we don't lay down, the thing that we worship, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I think, and I, I wonder if there is a point that somebody could pinpoint for us in, in the evolution of the family where the children became the primary relationship. 
as opposed to the husband and the wife right. or the That's mom and point. the dad, the adults in the equation. I think there probably is. I think you can probably parse that out and timeline it to say at some point in, we'll just you know go super myopic right here in American history, there has been a, a moment where kids moved from being part of the family to the rulers of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that's a challenge for us. I think we orient our schedules around our kids. We orient our finances around our kids. We orient this idea of protection for our kids. And I think a lot of people, and I, this is, let me just start with me. I think a lot of my temptation is to make my kids the primary focus of my life. And I think the, the world around us expects that. That's I true. think people expect you to make your kids your your primary purpose and your primary responsibility. And there's something natural inside you that wants to do what's best for your kids. I think that's God ordained um, that wants to invest in your kids. You go to Deuteronomy and it says like, hey, love the Lord your God with everything that you have. It's Shema. This is what you're supposed to do. And then you're supposed to pass it on. Like when you walk along the road, when you lie down at night, when you get up, when you sit around the table, like make sure Mm -hmm. that God is a priority as you pass it on to the next generation, but somehow or another, the next generation became the priority. And we've got to figure out what that looks like. Um, the, the picture of my role as a dad, my responsibility to be a provider and a protector for my family, I think that's a great one. But what is protection? What is it? Mm-hmm. God, is he a good father? He is. We would say he's the best father, and yet he sacrificed his own son. I think we'd right, say Abraham right. is a good father because we sing a song about it. You know, Father Abraham, Abraham and many sons. Yeah. You want to do some motion? Let's go through the whole thing. <laughs> right arm, for the, why is that right arm, left arm? Like, what's if the you, point of that? If you're listening to this and you didn't uh, grow up in church, this is very confusing. There's a song. Sure. There's confusing. a song and you're supposed to move your arms and then you turn around, you sit down, you stick your tongue out. It's yeah. weird. Like, what were you doing? because we brought it to camp. Abraham. So, But we're singing about Father Abraham having mm-hmm. many sons and him being a really important Father in Jewish faith, he's the the key patriarch of it. And so, yeah, Abraham's a good father, and yet he was willing to kill his kid. Mm-hmm. So what is a picture of protection? Is it to spare my child absolutely all possible pain in life? Or or is it not? I mean, I think that's, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. this is not a prescription to harm your children. I mean, because that's literally happening in the world too. And we do have a cause to protect. But there's something else here that we need to what are we willing to sacrifice our kids for? Is the Lord worth it? Is he primary? And is, is he first in our lives? Mm-hmm. So it's good. So we wrap up that scripture at verse 14, this story here. And we say, so Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord mm-hmm. will provide. We see that provision there. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived to Beersheba. As a result of his obedience, as a result of his faithfulness. That word obedience is the word to hear. And we know that in in Hebrew language, like to hear and to obey were the same word, the same vocabulary word. So when we're reading our English translations of the Bible and we read the word hear um, or we read the word obey, they're the Mm. same thing. So to hear God is to obey God. 
And to disobey God means that you didn't hear God. And that's that, that Shema that we talked about in Deuteronomy. It's, it means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he's it. He's primary in our lives. And so for Abraham to put God primary in his life in this moment, to hear him and obey him was a big deal. And so then that's our call too. I think that's why... That's why this parenting story to me becomes a really important one. You know Matt Glass, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Used to lead worship for Fuge Camps in the yeah, summer. Did summer camp with him. Yeah. yeah, summer camp. He was in a band uh, for camps way back in the day called My Isaac. And that was their whole concept. It's like, what is our Isaac? What's the thing that's the most important to you? Are you willing to lay that thing down? Because that might be the very thing that God requires. Um, and I thought that was such a good picture um, and I think we do have an opportunity to do that with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we want to shield our kids from pain in life. We want to shield them from incurring cost in life. Um, I've had parents respond to me when, you know, you're doing the recruitment for serving on a Sunday morning or going on a mission trip or, or just taking whatever that next step of faith is. And a lot of times, if there's any sort of hesitancy, if there's any sort of, I don't want to call it an excuse, but I can't think of another word. So I'm just going to say excuse and you'll excuse me for saying it, um, the idea of using their kids as the reason why they can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, well, my, my kids, they, they can't be here to services on a Sunday morning. Or my kids, they've got this in their schedule, and so we have to do this. And I wonder how often we're shielding our kids from a blessing because we're not willing to let them pay the mm-hmm. price. Um, should, they, should it cost them um, extra sleep on Sunday morning? Why not? Should it, should it cost them... Um, getting to do something a little more missional on a Saturday as opposed to something that's just a little more fun or sports or athletics. I mean, like, should it, should our kids experience some sort of cost, some sort of sacrifice, some sort of effort in the idea that we worship? I think a lot of times we feel like we should shield them for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this picture, I'm like, no, they should be part of the sacrifice. They should be part of the worship, part of that experience, and they should feel it. They should feel the financial burden and the time and the effort that it takes to be a part of this practice of worship. And that would ultimately be the best thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably a moment I'm going to go on record and say, I believe this, that Isaac never forgot. <laughs> Maybe right, right. Nightmare, nightmares about, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. would, that, like would you wake counseling. up every time you heard a noise? Would you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's about to happen? You know? I don't know. Like, that's it. Like, but should, should that be something that our children remember? I really hope we've, we've said this before and, only time will tell. I hope that my kids grow up and remember and recognize how much mm-hmm. being a part of our church family, being part of our faith practice, and being part of our missional effort cost yeah, yeah. them. That's true. Yeah. True of me. Um, and I think that whenever we look at this story, is it um, the thing that you're talking about, Isaac, what did he remember? He remembered his dad's sacrifice. That's I remember that about my story. My yeah. dad's sacrifice mm-hmm. is he got... Later on, um, whenever I was in high school, um, a part of my story and is very much a part of my dad's story. And, and he kind of came to a point in his life where he, he said no to God for 15 years. We kind of have a family meeting after a mission trip. He went on this first mission trip with us and the family. And we got back and it's Mill Creek, West Virginia. And uh, got back, had a family, family meeting. He was like, boys, we all oh, boys. Um, I've been saying no for 15 years. It's time for me to say yes. Hmm. And he decided from that moment that he was going to be a missionary in Mill Creek, West Virginia, to, to disciple the police chief, the, the mayor, and the fire chief. And he did that for a year. And I was like, that's, he sacrificed. He knew that the Lord was calling him to something, to, 
to do something. Um, and, and honestly, that, that kind of changed the trajectory of his fatherhood mm-hmm. and and how he was going to parent and what he was going to model. And you can tell that story in three minutes, but that was 300 plus days of logistics right. and cost for not just your dad answering the call, but your mom and three sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times we want to, and sometimes we vacate the idea of us being able to worship God because we're afraid that it's going to cost our children something. Right. When they can actually be a part of the worship themselves. That's right. That's right. That entirety that the Kiliot talks about. And I think that's important. So. so what are some of the big ideas? Like what are some of the takeaways looking at this story when we look at Abraham and Isaac? You know, we didn't really talk about this word much, but the idea of testing, you know, that God does test us. And it's okay. Um, Deuteronomy says that we're not supposed to test God the way that the people did when they didn't have water to drink and Moses was leading them out of the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't test God like you did at Masa and then Meribah, like this whole picture. So we're not supposed to test him, but it is his absolute right as God creator, father on high to test us. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he does, it's an opportunity to express our faith in him. And so I think um, if, our, if our kids are primary in our lives, if our marriages are primary in our lives, if our finances are primary in our lives, there should be nothing that we withhold from God. Um, and so what does it mean for a whole family um, to give God everything? That's, that's an important part of passing that test. Um, yeah, the other, the other thing is I think in a lot of ways we can leverage our kids and model for our kids what it means to serve and what it means to worship and what it means to, it's, you know, the Rolling Hills vision statement to reach out, grow up, and give all. What does it mean for a third grader to give their all? Mm. What does it mean for, I mean, Isaac was literally about to give all whether he knew it or not. Mm. And so our kids, we can model that for them and actually lead them in that. Um, And there are, you know, a lot of ways that we need to reorient our worship lives um, because we are, we're laying a lot down on the altar of our kids. um, And that's a, that's a position that they should not be in. Uh, They shouldn't grow up thinking that the whole world revolves around them. Uh, we don't want to send them out into the world as adults, having only experienced a life where, hey, all the people in my life that love me move heaven and earth to make things easy for me and good for me. Mm-hmm. That's that's not raising fully devoted. That's raising terrible people. And so like we're <laughs> releasing into the world horrible people if they think that the world revolves around them. Think about in college and young adulthood where you met somebody and you're, you're immediately put off because it's just like, man, they, they think the whole world revolves around them, mm-hmm. right? That's not the people that you want to be around. If that's not the people that you want to be around, then don't let that be the people that you raise for you other create. people to have to endure. Yeah, yeah. so we don't want that. And so, and it's it's not a position for them to be in and it's not good for us to model. And so what does it look like for us to be willing to make any sacrifice before God that he asks for um, and to model for our, kid, our kids giving God everything we have? So, mm-hmm. And that's part of, you know, whatever you look at, uh, we always talk about stats of kids leaving the church after high school. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, but whenever you really look look at those kids that remained faithful um, to their, not not just the church, but their faith, one of the key things that you will see in their story is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. One of the key things you'll service. see is service. Yeah. And so if we can train that early and often, how, how much more would, would that make a difference? Hey, Siri. <laughs> this is the weirdest technical up, moment ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is awesome. What a great podcast. Um, so that was Abraham and Isaac. Thank you, Nick, for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Thank you. Yes, and we will be back again next week. 
for another podcast, another biblical family.